0: This evening, the reading is taken from the book of Luke. I'll be reading from verse 1 to 21. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Croninius was governor of Syria, Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God, the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him
1: Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, They went up to the festival, according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. This is the
2: word of the Lord. Well, you're in for a real treat tonight. Uh, we have read through all of chapter 2, uh, but tonight we're just going to be looking at the less, half, a less famous second half of chapter 2. We're just going to be looking uh, from verse 22 onward. Uh, So, not the birth narrative that comes at the first half, we're just going to be looking at the second half. Uh, The first half we'll be doing in our connect groups during the week. Uh, And so, I think you're in for a real treat as we look at this uh, less famous half of chapter two. Now, let me start by asking you a question. Uh, When you were a kid, what did people think you would do when you grew up? I don't know, perhaps uh, you were really into animals, maybe you were always down at the zoo, and people thought, I know you'll be a vet. You'll be a vet when you grow up. Maybe uh, you were really arty. You were very creative. Uh, You were drawing or making lots of things and people thought, I know, Uh, you'll be an artist when you grow up. Perhaps uh, you had a strong sense of justice and you were able to argue your siblings into a corner. Maybe they said, I know, when you grow up, you'll be a lawyer for sure. Today, as we look at Jesus as a child, we're asking the same question. What is he going to be like when he grows up? But tantalizingly, we have so very few details about Jesus' childhood, don't we? What we have recorded here in Luke uh, is the only place where that's recorded. But all week, I've been puzzling over the question why did Luke include these two stories? that take place in Jerusalem in the temple. I mean, Jesus spent most of his childhood in Nazareth, growing up as a boy there. Why does Luke include these two episodes that take place in the temple? And what does this tell us about Jesus and who he's going to grow up to be? Now, we've got to remember that in those days, in the way they thought God was up there and we are down here... And so on a mountain, you kind of came halfway to God. And so on a mountain, like Jerusalem, you could build a temple. And there you are halfway to God. And so why are the most momentous and important events in Jesus' childhood taking place at the temple? Well, as we read through our passage today, I think we're going to see uh, some very exciting things. One thing we're going to see is that Jesus was really earthly. Jesus was really a human boy. He didn't just kind of fall from heaven as an adult. He had a real childhood. Jesus was human. Another thing we're going to see is that Jesus was no normal child. There is something extraordinary going on here in this boy. This boy is bridging heaven and earth. You see, this boy, Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. And we're going to see uh, what this means in three points. First, we're going to see Jesus is the perfect temple sacrifice. Secondly, we're going to see Jesus makes us a temple of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we're going to see you don't need the Father's house when you know the Father's Son. Uh, Let me pray for us. As we see here, Luke wants us to see that when we are meeting Jesus, we are actually meeting God. Let me pray for us as we read this. Loving Father, we thank you that you have come down to us. We thank you that in your Son, Jesus, we know you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you do not let us miss who Jesus is. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds that as we read Uh, these words you might show us, Jesus. Amen. So what do first-time parents do in 2018? Well, if you're a first-time parent in 2018, you've kind of got to rush around. You've got to go and get a car seat. You've got to get installed in the car. You've got to uh, decide whether you're going to have disposable nappies or you're going to use renewable nappies. There's a lot of things that you kind of average sort of everyday things that first-time parents do today. But for our first-time parents in this passage, Mary and Joseph, that all would have seemed very strange to them. But when we look at what first-time parents, Mary and Joseph, do in this passage, going to the temple to make sacrifices, it looks pretty strange to us. I mean, have a look. Have a look. Verse 22, what do they do? They take the long trek up to Jerusalem to make some sacrifices, including sacrificing a lamb, And these were to purify both mum and bub. See, this is very typical sort of life for Israelites in the first century. Particularly this idea that they had to be made pure to enter the temple, to worship God, that they had to be made clean. You see, God had told them time and time again in the Old Testament that their sin made them unclean. They couldn't just, you know, waltz into the temple and start worshiping God willy nilly. Uh, it's a bit like if you've ever been to a neo-native intensive care unit. You know the NICU unit where they keep the little Premier babies? Uh, You can't just waltz in to the NICU unit. No, no, no. You've got to wash your hands first. You've got to clean them thoroughly before you can come in. And it's kind of the same with the temple. You see, when you had a baby, it made you unclean, and you were meant to sacrifice a lamb. That's what the Old Testament law required. But where is the lamb in our passage? See if you can see it. Have a look, verse 22 to 24. See if you can see where the sacrificial lamb is. Well, when you know the Old Testament passage that Luke is quoting here, it says, lamb, 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 you need a lamb, bring a lamb. But there is no lamb. It's a glaring omission. Why haven't they brought a lamb? It seems Luke wants us to know something about Mary and Joseph. It seems that they were so poor that they couldn't afford a lamb. And this would mean they would be unclean. They would be unable to worship God in the temple. Ah, but God in his kindness, God in his kindness, he made a way for people who couldn't afford that. At the very bottom of that Old Testament passage, it says, if you can't afford a lamb, just bring two birds. And that's exactly what we see Mary and Joseph doing here, don't we? They just bring two birds. Isn't God kind? It doesn't matter if his people were rich or poor. He made a way for them to come to him. You see, the truth is, it didn't matter how much money you had back then, and it doesn't matter how much money you have now. No amount of sacrifice, no amount of good works, no amount of charitable donations can make us pure or right with God. There was no sacrificial lamb in this story, but perhaps Luke wants us to look a little bit closer. There is a sacrificial lamb, isn't there? We know who Jesus grows up to be, don't we? He is the ultimate sacrificial lamb who does away with all of this. You see, that day in Jerusalem, Mary watched as two birds were killed to purify her, to bring her to God. But what Mary didn't know was that one day she would stand outside Jerusalem and she would watch her son killed to purify her, to bring her to God. No, those birds didn't choose to die, but Jesus went to the cross willingly to purify her, to save her, and not just her, but us, to bring us to God. You see, Mary would never again need to go to the temple to have her sin atoned for. And so we never need to go to a temple to have our sin taken away. Because of Jesus, we are pure and clean in God's eyes. And we can approach him again. You see, this Jesus, he was no average baby, was he? No, no, only a human could pay the price for human sin, but only God was willing to make that sacrifice. You see, God made a way. God became human, and now we are clean. But there's still more going on here, isn't there? Have a look at our second point. Jesus makes us the temple. Uh, What we read next, uh, it's it's very earthy, Uh, it's very everyday. We see two elderly people, uh, Simeon and Anna, getting very excited about a cute baby. Now, why is that? Uh, This is a pretty everyday thing. You know, everybody loves babies, uh, but particularly elderly people, uh, they love babies. Case in point, uh, I have a very good friend called Keith, uh, and he recently made a great life decision He decided to move from Sydney to Queensland. Sorry. Uh, But within six months of moving to Queensland, both his parents and his wife's parents, they sold up everything. They were settled here. They had beautiful houses. They sold it all, and they moved all the way to hot Queensland. And I can tell you why they did that in just one word. Grandchildren. Right? People love babies. Babies are wonderful But is that the whole reason why Anna and Simeon are so excited in this passage? Is there more going on here than meets the eye? Is there something spiritual going on? You see, we're told in the passage, aren't we, that Anna and Simeon, they weren't just regular folk cooing over a cute baby. No, we're told that Anna is a prophet. And we're told that Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would see God's Messiah before he died. So when they kind of bowl up to Joseph and Mary in the temple and Simeon kind of takes their baby off them, this is all very unusual. In fact, it's downright spiritual. But amongst all the joy and expectation of Anna and Simeon, there's another character here who's even more joyful, another character filled with even more expectation. And you may have missed this person on the first read through the passage but Luke doesn't want us to miss this very important character. Have a look. Can you see him? In verse twenty-three? Uh, verse, sorry, verse, 25, verse 26, and verse 27, Luke mentions this character again and again and again. Can you see him? It's the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who'd been egging Simeon on his whole life. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let Simeon rest. Come on, Simeon, get excited. Mate, he's coming. He's nearly here. God's Messiah, he's nearly here. But it's not just Simeon. Uh, It's Anna as well. We're told Anna comes into the temple every day to worship God. And when you look at the whole Testament, the Old Testament is basically uh, the Holy Spirit getting everyone excited. Someone's coming, someone's coming, prophet after prophet. The Holy Spirit was egging them on. Who is this one who is coming? And why is this? Well, because nobody loves Jesus like the Holy Spirit loves Jesus. You see, look at their joy. It bubbles over in their speech. In verse 28, Simeon, uh, he gets to hold God's Messiah in his arms, and he's overflowing with praise to God. Or look at Anna, verse 38. She gives thanks to God and then she runs off and tells everyone else who the Holy Spirit has gotten excited about Jesus. No, not even the awful tragedy in Anna's life could rob her of the joy of seeing Jesus for who he was. See, most people at the temple missed what happened that day, did they? They saw just two regular poor people coming in with their child to make sacrifices. But thanks to the Holy Spirit... Simeon and Anna didn't miss what was going on that day. And thanks to the Holy Spirit, we don't miss Jesus either. See, in this average baby of poor parents, heaven is touching earth and it is a wondrously joyful thing. You see, the truth is he wasn't just a regular baby, was he? Not just a cute baby, he was God's Messiah. And the Holy Spirit wanted them to know that and the Holy Spirit wants you to know that. Friends, because of Jesus, uh, you don't have to be like Anna, who came to the temple day after day to worship God. No, because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. Because of Jesus, now you are God's temple. And because of that, friends, when your love for Jesus wanes, when your heart becomes cold for your wonderful Saviour, Perhaps that's you today. You can pray to the Holy Spirit who is in you to kindle your love for Jesus. Because remember, nobody loves Jesus like the Holy Spirit loves Jesus. And nobody wants to help you love Jesus like the Holy Spirit does. But what if you're sitting here uh, in this chair today and you're not a Christian? What if you're sitting here And you've not seen Jesus. Look, I I don't know what brought you along here today. Uh, Maybe there's questions you can't answer. Maybe there's Christians who just keep egging on at you about this great Jesus. Maybe you've acknowledged the fact that there could be more to life and death than just what we see. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart tonight. If this is you don't let this opportunity pass you by. At the end of the service, there'll be someone down here to my right who will be able to pray with you. If the Holy Spirit is moving you tonight to trust Jesus as your Savior, don't miss that opportunity. Act on it. And now our final point, you don't need the Father's house when you have the Father's Son. Our next section, uh, we fast forward 12 years Uh, when Jesus and his parents, uh, they're again visiting Jerusalem. And as it happens, they lose their kid. Now, um, this is not unusual at all for country people uh, when they're visiting the city. In fact, uh, it reminds me a bit of my childhood, actually. So as I mentioned before, uh, like Jesus, I grew up in kind of a backwater town, not uh, Nazareth of Galilee, uh, but Catherine of the Northern Territory. And every year like all good Jews, would go up to the foremost city of Jerusalem. Uh, So my family, like all good Australians, we would go up to the foremost city of Australia. You know, the foremost city. The place with the good coffee, the place with all the culture. What am I talking about? I'm I'm talking about Melbourne, of course. No, I'm just kidding. But no trip was complete without a pilgrimage to Maya in the city. Whenever the country people came to the city, where did we go? We had to go to Maya to go shopping. And I remember one particular time uh, when my mum lost me. She lost me. She didn't know where I went, uh, and she had to get them to announce over the speakers, Philip Morrow, your mother is looking for you. Please come to the information desk. But where was I? Where had I wandered off to? What catches the eye of a 12-year-old boy... Why, it was the Lego section. When she found me, there I was, staring at all the wonderful Lego and just dreaming. But similarly, 12-year-old Jesus is missing. Now, where would you expect to find a 12-year-old boy? Look, it obviously took uh, Jesus' parents some time to find him. Where did they look? Did they look in the Lego aisle? Did they look at the beach? Did they look at the football park? They must have tried all sorts of places. We're told in verse 46 that after three days, they find him. But where do they end up finding him? Well, in a very unexpected place. They find him in the temple. You see, Jesus is drawn to the temple. He seems to identify deeply with the temple. Remember what I said before? uh, In those days, you built temples on a mountain and... Uh, Jerusalem is on a mountain. And so they built a temple there. And a temple was kind of like a halfway point, a meeting place with God. It seemed that Jesus wanted to be where people met with God. And it's not just unusual where he is, is it? It's unusual what he does. I saw a TV show uh, on the ABC a little while ago about child geniuses. There was a child genius for everything. There was an art child genius. There was a a science child genius, a music child genius, and they were all very impressive. But people were very impressed by this 12-year-old boy. What was it about him that amazed them? What about him was so impressive? Have a look. Verse 47, what does it say? Verse 47, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. They were amazed by his words. The words of this 12-year-old boy. Now, uh, I'm not having a go at 12-year-old boys here. I've been a 12-year-old boy. But it's not often that profound things come from the mouth of a 12-year-old boy. Profane, perhaps, but rarely profound. But Jesus' words really were amazing. Let's not forget who he grew up to be. This week, uh, I was reading an article Uh, where some statisticians had tried to work out who was the most influential person uh, in history uh, and who had the most influential words. These statisticians, these numbers nerds, they worked out uh, who had the most mentions in books, who had the most mentions online, and they found that the most influential person in history, far and away, the person whose words had shaped the world, was Jesus. No wonder the people in the temple were amazed at the words of this boy. Remember, the words of Jesus are absolutely remarkable. This no one boy from nowhere town goes on to give the most famous speech or sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, his words turned the world upside down. But I tell you, he said, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You see, the most influential words ever spoken by a human being were spoken by Jesus. And what are the first recorded words of the most influential human being in history? Well, they're verse 49. Verse 49 Why were you searching for me? He asked. Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he meant. But we know the end of the story, don't we? We know what he meant. He was saying that he was the son of God. He was saying that he was God and he would go on to prove it, wouldn't he? His words have echoed across history greater than any human because he wasn't just human. He was God, come to visit us. But why was it in the temple that Jesus chose to say these words? Well, we know that the temple goes on to be a really big part of Jesus' life when he grows up. We're going to see in the rest of Luke, in chapter 21, Jesus will predict the destruction of the temple, the end of the sacrificial system, all the purifications, all the things that the Old Testament was getting to do would come to an end. Or in chapter 23, as Jesus dies on the cross, the temple curtain is torn into. now free and open access to God. Now that we have Jesus, we need no temple. The temple was halfway between us and God but God has come down and met us in Jesus I don't know if you expected to meet God today in this building when you walked in here but because of Jesus we no longer meet God in the bricks of a building but in a person the person of Jesus and if you have met Jesus If you have listened to his words, why, you've met God himself. So the question that Luke asks us, and the question I'll ask you, is that will you listen to Jesus? Luke wants you to keep reading, because as you meet Jesus, you meet God. So in conclusion, we've seen that through Jesus, we're made clean to meet God. We've seen that through Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. Remember, nobody loves Jesus like the Holy Spirit loves Jesus. And now that we are the temple of this Jesus-loving Holy Spirit, we can love him too. And we've seen that we need no temple. In Jesus, God meets us. And in Jesus' words, we hear God speak. In the words of this 12-year-old boy, We have heard from God today. We have heard that God longs to be with us, to dwell with us, and to bring us to himself.